Manchester City's unbeaten run ended at Anfield as a resurgent Liverpool eked out a 1-0 win for the ages in front of their home crowd. Real Madrid asserted their dominance over Barcelona with a convincing home win to go to the top of the La Liga table. Kareem Benzema, who found the net against Barcelona to open the scoring in that match, also bagged his first Ballon d'Or, one of the most prestigious individual awards in world soccer. We're going to sift through that. We're going to look at some gaudy fixtures this weekend. And we always have the best betting tips in the galaxy. All that and more on Just for Kicks. But first this. Welcome back to Just for Kicks podcast. I'm joined by Stephen Pearson, who has uh, such an encyclopedic knowledge of the game that I think even he can probably answer this question. Who's this guy that won the city match uh, for Liverpool? I haven't noticed him all season. Um, he must be new. Uh, he's from Egypt. It's a shame he's not going to be at the World Cup. Mohamed um, uh, Salah? What, uh, what's the story, Steve? Elder journeyman struggling to make his impact this season wait a second sorry i I read that wrong muhammad salah the top scorer for liverpool five seasons running two times africa footballer of the year who in the face of slander passed the one and only stevie g for premier league goals as a red this weekend uh that mo salah he's got uh that 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 guy with the lucky flick uh has more goals than stevie g facts only i i thought i thought uh oh for reds reds i'm also joined by mike who uh is gonna deliver us some spicy betting action later on and tons of spicy action in between if past his prologue i isn't he just some scrub that chelsea sold that's what he looked like to me for uh most of this season. I mean, he could very well prove me wrong. I, I think he's past it. I mean, he, I, th- after his, so it was saved by Ederson. The first time he was clean in one-on-one, I thought he was going to miss the second one. That's how low the confidence, like his overall confidence level has looked. That did him a world of good to score that goal. I don't know, guys. I, I, am I being harsh? <laughs> I don't know. That's how I feel. The reality is he did score. <laughs> the reality is that, yeah, the ball did the find, find the back than that. Um, <laughs> he kicked it. Will someone give the man credit? He kicked it. It didn't. Def- it didn't have some crazy Fernando Torres with Chelsea, like you know, orbital, you know, deflection. Um, okay. Yeah, I I think that because I was still captaining him when Holland was just continually going crazy, I'm like, I'm done with this guy. I'm going to find one day. Are we going to be talking about Mo Salah the way we talk about Erling Holland? I, I love this. The guy's on pace to have like his fourth double digit goal and assist season in a, uh, out of like six at Liverpool, and we're all just like, who's this trashy guy that got lucky this weekend? <laughs> I, I I just I miss I miss Bobby. I, I'm glad. I'm glad Klopp's finally given him some minutes. I don't know how many people have to leave and get hurt, but they would have. They would have won the title last year with Bobby. Tell me I'm wrong. Well, quite a bit has happened since we last spoke, including two rounds of EPL matches. Um, but first, I want to talk about what we saw in Madrid on Sunday. I said last week we've been bearing the lead by not talking about Manchester City, who, as Steve so brilliantly pointed out, we're entering something that can only be compared to Death Star mode. Now I feel compelled to discuss who I feel is the best team on the planet, who happen to be the defending champions of the world of club soccer. Because they look scarier than last year, and they seem deeper than last year. Guys, last year's Real Madrid side were experts at controlling matches but not letting opponents play on their own terms. They gunked things up. This Real team, they put Barcelona on their back foot. They imposed their own will. They played the way they wanted to play. Steve, were you surprised that Barcelona ceded so much to Real, yet still allowed themselves to be carved up like 
just throughout this match? I think you're right. I think we need to give Real Madrid a lot more credit than they've been getting. The narrative coming out of last season's Champions League run was kind of that they were lucky. And Real Madrid, I think, is the one team that doesn't get lucky. They look legitimately unbothered in these matches lately, like the older dog just waiting for some over-eager puppies to tire themselves out before taking the W. Um, Cruz and Modric look as good as ever this weekend. Um, they have the Ballon d'Or winner. And no matter the opponent, they know they can weather a storm and take advantage of a singular moment with that absurdly experienced cast. It's a huge diversion from the top-level philosophies of like City, Bayern, and Liverpool right now, but they're hilariously resilient, and really nobody has an answer for it. Um, only Madrid has that kind of magic. And I do want to point out they even did it with Andre Lunin in goal, who is fantastic, but they have the option of on his day, definitely top three, top five, but maybe some days the best keeper in the world in Thibaut Courtois. Um, but let's talk about the midfield, Mike. Uh, Chiuamani and Valverde. I mean, ooh, ooh, uh, they got that to replace what we three weeks ago called the greatest midfield of all time. You know, we also had Sergio Roberto looking like Trent Alexander-Arnold trying to stop Vinicius Jr. I mean, the youth on this side is insane. There's reloading, and then there's what is happening at the Bernabeu. And they even have Camavinga ready to go behind uh, Chuamani. And they're just going to have more chemistry playing together in France. Um, dude, what is stopping us from entering a Real Madrid versus Manchester City eternal, like, duel? Like, I don't know what's going on, man. Like, they're so stacked. I think... You're leaving Arsenal out of that little equation. Um, I think Arsenal is actually a, a good comparison to Real Madrid, just having youth that's a little bit ahead of schedule. But I think that we all thought Casemiro would be a big miss, and Fede Valverde and Tremeni have have just taken the leap that I'm not sure many people expected. So you've got the leader from the front in Kareem Benzema, the veteran. And then you've got a young team that's just firing all cylinders. That The the win against Barcelona in El Clasico was extremely impressive. And I think we saw players kind of coming of age. Valverde scored again in the midweek. And so I just, I, I feel like I'm, I'm personally very excited about this uh, Uruguayan squad. There's a lot of good players like Valverde. And I think Real Madrid is this 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 is a statement win. This is this is essentially Champions League is ours, like come and take it. In my how does, opinion. Uh, how does Cruz rate Valverde right now? I think he said Yeah, he, Cruz said top three in the world. Yeah. And he knows something about it. <laughs> he's 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 not a bad judge. The combination play. Um, it, it made Javi blush. I mean, they were, Chumani and Valverde were, were fantastic. And, uh, Cruz and Modric, um, they looked, they look ageless. So the one thing that was missing, which even was present when, uh, Real Madrid were wearing their black, um, we want the world to think this is an exhibition uniforms last season. There just wasn't that hate. There wasn't that just raw, like, you know, refs on call, refs just, you know, uh, very, very, very ready to make sure that things did not escalate. Um, one of the reasons things didn't escalate was whenever Sergio Busquets tried to pull people down, they generally just ran past him because they think he's lost the step he never had. Um, regardless, People have said, and if you watched, you know, the Take the Ball, Pass the Ball documentary, um, that there was a lot of really, really great soccer that we didn't get to see because those games were filled with that passion, that intensity. I think we got to watch a great match. Um, I thought we got to see two brilliant tactical minds, some of the greatest players, live, old, and young, go up against each other. 
Mike, do you think that this kind of nucleus of players on both sides are going to settle into this rivalry and we're going to see a more heated, um, more, more heated classicos moving forward? Or do you think there's something that they appreciate about the higher level of the game that they're playing and that this is how this rivalry is going to be for the indefinite future? No, you know, I, I think you're right. The game didn't seem to be as hateful as in the past. Part of it has to do with personnel, right? When Pepe was on Madrid. When Pepe's uh, anywhere. (laughs) True. Along with Sergio Ramos, there was always going to be, you know, some rougher tackles that, that people took issue with. Um, I think that you've just got a really young crop that respects each other. And that's not to say that former iterations did not respect each other. But I do think that they will grow into it because one of my favorite things about this match is the fact that it is so personal and it is so much more than a game because Madrid used to be Franco's team. They were seen as the team of the king, Royal Madrid, and all that people in Catalonia and in Barcelona could do freely was go and support their team. It was the only way to stick it to the king, so to speak. And so I think that there is just such a deep, deep rivalry in this game that means a lot more to people and that gets passed down that it eventually gets passed down to the players. And that's why there is so much tension between these two squads. When Luis Figo goes from Barcelona to Real Madrid, it's like, dude, you do not do that. Um, you cross that line, baby. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, it's, it's, you know, the game is is so passionate, and I think it was really quality. I, th- I think that it will return to being um, a bit more heated, and you know, we'll we'll see who sort of uh, who's responsible for for sparking that. Well, the passion certainly was not lacking in Liverpool as tensions boiled over multiple times. Even Jurgen Klopp got red carded. Um, Liverpool persisted. Allison had an all timer. And City couldn't find a breakthrough despite some frustrating near misses from the hottest striker on the planet right now, Erling Haaland. This could have gone either way, but what Liverpool did was shut out Manchester City. And that's impressive in any circumstance, right? Steve? Yeah, the match proved a way to Liverpool is still the most difficult fixture in the league. And Pep seemed to kind of acknowledge that with his first real big tweak of the season to City's system. Um, Moving KDB out wide and having him and Cancelo run the right flank with a back three. Um, Ended up, Liverpool was uh, able to hit pretty much every note. Uh, The defense in the midfield were on point with a vintage Liverpool performance. I think I saw the, it was the fewest touches that KDB has had this season and the um, lowest pass percentage or second lowest pass percentage. Um, they also shut down Holland, and it was his first game without an assist or a goal this season. Um, suddenly, bam, Salah breaks and steals the win, and I kind of had my doubts going into it, but this proved City Pool is still the marquee matchup in the league for me right now. So, Mike, I- I've tried to uh, be the arbiter here, and I've pretty openly sided with Steve that Liverpool needed time. They played a lot of fixtures. They'll be back. And you finally convinced me to hit the panic button mere hours before they beat Manchester City. Tell me why that was an anomaly. Steve's going to laugh at me. I think it was. I think, so Anfield is amazing. I, I admittedly have not been to a fixture there, but I've been to games and the away supporters from Liverpool are fantastic. So the it's turf is slipper, slippery though. This is, it's very slippery. Um, I, I mean, I think that a lot of credit is owed to Allison. I think that he played out of his mind and the one, uh, one play where Holland tried to round him, I think he did a really great job. I also just, I mean, Holland should have bagged three in that game. He really should have. And so I'm maybe not giving Liverpool as much credit as they deserve. I still think Salah just doesn't look fully confident despite scoring that winner, which hopefully goes a long way for him. But 
I mean, if Allison doesn't play the way he does, it's possible that Liverpool lose that game. So it was on a knife's edge. It was tough. I was surprised nonetheless that they pulled it off. But I'm I'm still not still not thrilled about the way that they're playing. Steve, you've always championed Allison as the greatest one-on-one keeper, maybe ever. Did we finally see his his masterclass in one-on-one keeping? Oh, I I think we've seen him have a more exemplary displays but yet there were a few that were extremely brave he's outrageously technical in those kind of um events and funnily enough ederson probably matched him with the save of the match against uh salah's breakaway Mm -hmm. but yeah allison definitely deserves every bit of those three points and um I think it was an incredibly impressive performance from him and just the entire backline and midfield in general. Um, Liverpool is very much up for the match and Anfield was probably the kicker in this match. Uh, it, I think that that's a weapon that can't be understated. If this was played at city, I surely expect it would have gone differently, but at this point city and anyone else in the champions league probably dreads going there. And, <laughs> I th- I think that Liverpool's a threat in every competition at this point, including the uh, Premier League still. I don't know what Ederson's save you're talking about. That was a goal kick. I don't know what joke you're making. They called a goal kick on a play. Oh, they called a goal kick on the Salah breakaway that he saved? You didn't see that? No, that's hilarious. Yeah, in real time, I was like, yep, Salah's over it. And then they showed the save. I was like, that was incredible. It was a goal kick. Yep. Well, that's well, he deserved a goal kick. That was a great save. I mean, ref, ref, refereeing from uh, from this year, we won't go there, but hasn't been great. Well, as Liverpool climb back up to the top of the table, it seems like it's time to do a new segment that no one has ever done before. Uh-oh. It's called Over Under, and we're going to look at the top Premier League table because we all made predictions at the beginning of the season about who would be finishing in the top four. And every team that we've predicted, and for the record, I think uh, by the time the season started, uh, the wise guys in Vegas and offshore um, and in the UK and all across the cosmos um, had these teams in some order in the top seven. But now at this juncture in the season with everybody with 10 matches under their belt, the top seven seems to be how we think it'll probably wrap up. So we're going to go through those seven squads. We're going to talk about where they are in the table now and whether we think they're going to finish higher, lower, or where they are in a little segment we call Over Under. Let's start with Arsenal at the top of the table. Steve, they going to bag the league? Finally got me believing. It's 10 games in. They're up by four points. But I think if you have to, if the question is Arsenal or the field, you'd be silly to take Arsenal, I think. Mike? I'm feeling, I'm feeling spicy. Um, you technically can't take over. You can't. In this one. That's what I'm saying. The question's Arsenal or the field. You know what? Screw it. I'm going to go Arsenal. Dude, I think they're going to win the league, man. I, I, it's going to be really difficult. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be close. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm wearing an Arsenal kit today, so let's let's roll with it. I mean, if the if the kids can pull a Leicester and basically forget that they're similar to how Leicester forgot that they were Leicester for like half a season. If Arsenal can forget that they're like kids for half a season, like, yeah, oh, I think they already forgot. Let's do it. I, Sock, think, I, think, dude, I think Liverpool gave them the business. Sock I think that finish last weekend was awesome. That was, I think that was one of the bigger takeaways of the Liverpool match is they Liverpool city match. That is that city still has frailties that can be exploited. They are not completely invincible. They obviously have the most depth. They obviously have the highest ceiling. But, you know, 
somebody finds that hole in their armor just a couple more times, then it's there for the taking. And Arsenal and Holland's looks, human. Uh, Arsenal looks very, very poised to uh, take advantage if that were to happen. I don't know that Holland's human. He's very young. It. It. I mean. <laughs> he was just banging him in like crazy. It 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 got to the point where like you legitimately expected a hat trick every game. Like that's just that it, that's impossible. Yeah, it was nordiculous. It was <laughs> nord. Oh lord. Hashtag nordiculous. Hashtag nordiculous. <laughs> um, will someone ask an intern to see if all the handles are, for nordiculous are taken on every social yeah, media platform? That. Yeah. Um. So that kind of paints me into a corner with City uh, in second place. I think they're going to stay in second. What do you guys think? This one's tough. The question's not as cut and dry as them versus the field. But basically, I'd be picking them to win the league. Um, wait, so I have to go over or under or push? No, you can push. You can say you you can say that I can't logically respond to this question because I I believe that they will be in second. Over-under is just catchier. All right, I'll be boring. City over second place. They're the favorites to win the league. Or under, I'm not sure. The number would be lower, but the table would be higher. <laughs> they will do better than where they are now. I'm, I'm, I'm going push. There's, there's nobody that's gonna, that's gonna dislodge them from at least top two. No, there's not. But. As we saw this weekend moving along, it looks like we may have a lot of inertia underneath. Manchester United just summarily defeated Tottenham Hotspur. Um, Antonio Conte, is this the low point of his season as a manager? Steve? I don't want to take too much away from Spurs. Old Trafford's been a pretty tough spot for other contenders. Arsenal lost 3-1. Liverpool lost 2-1, I believe, there. Um, but yeah, United really did bully them. I think that's a testament to Eric Ten Hag. And I do think that the concern has been always that if Conte's system doesn't push them to the top, there's not really a plan B. And right now, it looks like they're struggling to find that extra gear that would put them in the as a favorite to win the title. Um, they're still really resilient. Again, Spurs is still really resilient. Old Trafford's a pretty tough place to go right now. Um, so I think they're still a favorite to finish top four. Do I think they'll finish above or below third? I'm going to go below. Yeah, I'm going to go below as well. Mike, you're the main United whisperer. You're the person who's basically predicted every bit of success that they've had. Um, maybe you got a little over your skis with the City match, but hey, we all. We all get uh, spicy every once in a while. Um, as the only guy who's predicted them to finish in the top four at the beginning of the year, um, was this more of a testament to United's strengths or to Tottenham's frailties? You know, I think Conte's kind of feeling the the Spursy nature of the club he's at. I think uh, you talking about that squishy backbone. That's yes. Uh, I I just think it's. It, Tottenham is a difficult squad to figure out right now. And to be honest, I, I think I'm more impressed with United. I think that we talked about the fact that, you know, at the beginning of the season, I was like, well, I messed up that pick with United. And then it's like, okay, actually, they've figured out who they are. They are getting the personnel right. And, I mean, they've beaten Liverpool, Arsenal, and Spurs. I think that's the thing is, oh, sorry. No, I was going to say it. they're like, they have figured out the formula to win games. So I'm going Tottenham under, and I think they, they get leapfrogged by United. United could very well beat Chelsea this weekend. It's, it, it's less about Tottenham. I, they look kind of stagnant at the moment, but there are some teams underneath them that look incredible and are still improving. Um, I don't think they can hold all three of them off. Yeah. We're about to, uh, see them. I think they host Newcastle this weekend, so that'll be a great litmus test. Th- that is actually a game that is so hard to call because on current form, you'd take you'd take Newcastle. So I'm with you. I think it's going to be a great match, and it's going to tell us a lot about both sides. What United did 
Wednesday, though, they completely shut down the Kane Sun outlet. And granted, they didn't have her Charleston or Kulishevsky, which has usually been their, you know, I guess, de facto plan B. Um, but having shut up shop on them, United was basically able to deliberate the entire match. And I think that's kind of going to be the blueprint. If you can shut those two down, which is admittedly hard to do, then Tottenham is basically boxed in and doesn't have any other guy that you can look to and be like, I mean, we were looking around the field against Man United and it's just thinking to yourself, like, is Matt Doherty going to get them out of this? Is Rodrigo Betancourt going to get them out of this? No, that's like, you know, Spurs level player that we've watched for a while, not be able to drag them to the top of the table. And it's starting to feel like a similar issue. I think you're spot on. I think Richarlison and Kulu were huge misses because it's that additional outlet that a team can't necessarily, like you, you, you can't take three players out of a game. You can feasibly take two out and say, all right, somebody else beat us. Um, Kane and Southern were covered like paper mache. It was wild. They they couldn't do anything. And yeah, I I think it was great planning by Ten Hag. I think Ten Hag has won the squad over. I think that's what you're seeing as well. Is he made those no doubt. Yeah, he made those couple of tweaks. They're like, all right, we trust this guy. Everybody's bought in except for Ronaldo, who left in like the 89th minute. Wait, did he 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 left the stadium? He walked off. He walked off the bench and went in the tunnel in like late eighties. I dude, I missed that. Yeah. Yikes. Oh man. Is he gonna turn up at Pescara in January? So we're all going lower? Uh, well, yes, Spurs uh, Spurs lower than third. Worse than I, third. I, Spurs worse than third. I think the, I think the injuries are key at the wrong time. Yeah, I do. I mean, not that there's a right time, but Kane and Son will be heavily relied on by their nations at the World Cup too. I can totally see them just completely running out of gas. That's a good point. Well, it's about to get a lot thicker. The plot, that is. Thick with two Cs. Three Cs. Two Cs. Two Cs. Just two Cs. In fourth, we have Chelsea. We uh, we saw a beautiful start to things with Graham Potter. Obviously, right out of the gate, there was that uh, Champions League miss, but it was, it was they were they were just getting to know each other. Um, but this Brentford draw uh, stopped a lot of momentum. Is this a bump or is this symptomatic of a larger issue, Mike? Uh, I, I honestly, I'm not too concerned about it from a Chelsea standpoint. I think that, um, I think that you even called it a capitulation, which I think, no offense, I think is a little bit of an overreaction. Um, it's a little bit disrespectful to Brentford. I'll say that. Well, so the, the thing about Brentford is, you know, team we were just talking about in Manchester United got wrecked by Brentford. And mm-hmm. let's not forget, Brentford also beat Chelsea 4-1 to last season. And so, you know, they, they match up well against Chelsea. I think that Conor Gallagher going off early was not ideal. And, um, you know, Chelsea overall have a good record against Brentford. I think Brentford's a good squad. I, I think that, um, you know, there's, there's no, I don't think that there's, I don't think Chelsea is leaving this game. I mean, they're upset, but it's not like, you know, you drop points to a team that is far and away the, the worst team in the league. Mm-hmm. I, I rate Brentford. I mean, it's not like they like lost to a team managed by like Frank Lampard or something. Ever- Everton's on the up, man. It's Speaking weird. of Frank, Thomas Frank, Thomas Frank is a great manager at Brentford. Yes. They have a they have a really great system. But uh before that, Chelsea had won five in a row. I think that was I think Wednesday was Kepa's fifth clean sheet in a row. Um Chelsea's gonna be fine, and frankly, they look like the biggest threat to break into the top two race. What is going like really? What? You think so? So so Steve, I pose you this question first. They sit fourth behind Tottenham City and Arsenal. You're going higher? Uh, I'll take fourth because I think Liverpool's still coming in hot. Do you think you, you think Liverpool is going to leapfrog Chelsea on the table? How many points do I have? Four. Yeah. No way. No way. We'll get there. So, Mike, I send it over to you. Higher or lower than fourth? I think if pressed, I would take Chelsea higher. Although, transparently, I think Manchester United has a better shot 
of leapfrogging them. I I, I think Chelsea and Man U ra- round out the top four. I think Tottenham's the one who loses out. I, I just, I really don't see Liverpool making it. Newcastle's right there on the fringes, but um, it's it's tough. Chelsea third or fourth, Man U third or fourth. I think that can go either way. I think that this weekend's matchup is going to be really, really good. Chelsea United Saturday is huge. Oh. And Kepa, like what happened? Like, he, like all of a sudden he's the player that Chelsea thought they bought years ago. It's crazy. Like making is he still like, the most expensive keeper of all time? I think Allison. No, he's took, more expensive than Allison. No. Donnarumma, I'm almost certain. Nope, nope. Donnarumma's free. I take that back. Maybe his yeah. contract is the biggest. In terms of wages, yeah. Um, I think he's the most expensive transfer. I, kn- I know Kepa costs more because the both sides were going for Allison. Dude, no way. You're totally right. It was 71 versus 65 million pounds. Mm-hmm. I was completely wrong. What's crazy is Tua Courtois going for 35 mil. Like what? Yeah. To, to Madrid. The world has changed in a very short amount of time. Okay, Steve. So we get United sitting in fifth. And, you know, really thinking about how I was going to approach answering these questions. It really started to boil down to kind of Graham Potter or Eric Tenhag. And my gut really told me Eric Tenhag, except for there's this one small piece of data where Graham Potter beat Eric Tenhag with Brighton, um, albeit while United were still trying to sort things out. But Right now, who would you rather have as a manager to start a franchise? Those two dudes. It's a different United than it was against Brighton then. But Potter's come in and made Chelsea possibly the form team in the Premier League over the last few weeks. So I think that it's not worth completely dismissing the uh, Brighton and United matchup early this year. Um, I think they're both brilliant and i think that potter and ten hog um look like they're probably going to be at their clubs for a while they're both improving rapidly but if you were to make me pick between the two right now yeah given a neutral roster then i would take potter wow mike did you take potter yeah i mean he yeah what really impresses me about him he's got a master's in uh, psychology or uh, emotional intelligence, sorry. And I think that, to Steve's point, you can see how he's transformed a squad. I mean, Keppel looks confident. He has... He was always confident. Of, <laughs> he told Sorry always, he wasn't... He didn't... He told Sorry that he was going to stick around, so... Yeah. I don't think you can say that one year ago, Keppa was confident. Oh, I say that. I, I, I say hear, that in jest. Watching him, in I, penalty, I know. Watching I, him in penalty shootouts the last couple of years has been painful. He was confidently, confidently smoking slims on the bench. I, the other thing, and I'm, I don't know why I'm giving Keppa credit, but I feel like there was miscommunication to where it was like, Keppa, you're injured. He's like, No, I'm not. When it's like, No, 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 like Willie Caballero should be the penalty taker. Whatever. That's that's water under the bridge. Argue however you want. Keppa has transformed. Mason Mount is back to his best. The squad just looks really, really solid. I think that there's been a similar transformation under Eric Ten Hag, but Graham Potter, I think, has the chance to become one of the greatest managers of all time. And a lot of it has to do with his ability to manage every person differently and get the the most out of them. And I think a lot of it has to do with how much he's invested in himself in understanding what motivates individuals, how to, um, you know, reach these different, these different kids. So I think that Graham Potter is, is, is the pick. It's not easy. Ten Hag has done a great job turning United around. I, I feel like it's easy enough to the point that I think the question is probably more Graham Potter versus like today's it kid. I think that it, it's more reasonable of a question to ask if it's Potter or Arteta than it is Potter or Tin Hog. Not that I'm not impressed with Tin Hog, but I think that 
Potter and Arteta are the star boys of the situation. All right, Sorry. well then, Steve, who Potter or Arteta then? Uh, Arsene Wenger, then Arteta. <laughs> Mike, um, Goose Inc. or The Field? I mean, The Goose is the man. I mean... Don't put me on the spot with the goose. South Korea was on the loose, man. Dude, don't get me started. Australia should have won that. <laughs> no, it's 2006. Uh, 2000, yeah. 2006 was when Australia, the Socceroos got soccer screwed. Yeah, you, your boy Timmy Cahill. Just, Dude, that whole team. He deserves so much better. He deserves so that much whole better. Team. Harry Kuehl? Mark Baduca, dude, Mark Baduca was a boss. That squad was great. They deserve much better. If you know who Mark Baduca is, please write into the show and we will buy you one year's of Ben and Jerry ice cream. <laughs> you don't know Mark Baduca? Kids, Goog- I have no clue who that is. What is wrong? I couldn't tell you who he is. One of the most technically gifted strikers of all time. There's no way that's true. Carry on. G- Google Mark Baduca goals. Everyone that is listening to this, Mark probably, there has to be 50 goals. strikers who he I want to spend my unreal. time watching goals of. Okay. Touche. Oh my God. Text me, Steve, and let me know that you watched those videos. I'm not going to do it. You have to. Mike, we want you to talk about Bruno G. Marash because next is Newcastle. How much of a difference does he make to this side? And are they going to finish higher than sixth place? It's night and day. And, and the, the answer to your second question is if he stays healthy. I think that when we went through picking our top five midfielders in the world right now, albeit, you know, maybe shaken up by the Valverde uh, revelation, I picked, I picked Bruno fourth. He, he is box to box. So much energy just makes that a different squad. And they have not lost with him on the pitch and um, they've been climbing the table with him on it. So I think he's fantastic. I, I love everything about him. Steve, how much more uh, mileage can Newcastle get out of this uh, European push that they seem to have in them? I feel like they're almost a lock for European Europe, but I am starting to wonder, can they push for top four? Um, Big match this weekend against Spurs, and obviously that outcome will have a lot to say about their, uh, you know, whether they're right in the mix or fighting from behind. They've got some pretty easy fixtures other than that leading into Christmas and got some players that should be getting healthy over the break. Uh, Isaac's out through the World Cup, and suddenly Miguel Almarón found his shooting boots, um, which he had thrown in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, apparently, (laughs) for five years. Um, But yeah, they've... (laughs) Got maybe I think one match against Chelsea, and the rest of them are very winnable. But by the time we wake up on Boxing Day, I think that they could very well be in the top four. I mean, they got the little Champions League creep going on right now. Nobody sees them coming. Almiron is like reborn. It's kind of wild. I don't know that they'll get higher than sixth, but um, it'll be fun to watch. And lastly, let's let the fireworks fly where they should. Liverpool. They're currently in seventh place. They can finish higher or they can finish lower. Steve, you're on record saying higher. Mike, they'll do better than seventh. Lower than fourth. But higher than seventh. We're talking lower than fourth, yeah? Oh, no. We're talking about higher than seventh. I'm just going to be a rebel. But if you want to clarify for our uh, audience the operative question, you can do that. I just just to just to get it, Steve. I'm going to say lower than seven. You don't believe that? I mean, I want to. Who in the world thinks that Liverpool is going to finish worse than seventh? I mean, I'm looking at the squads to jump. I'm like, it doesn't look great. Um, like Brentford's not going to do it. Palace, Bournemouth. I'm just, I'm going to say they're going to even. They're going to stay at seven. They're going to finish seventh. I do think the Jota injury is pretty brutal for them. Oh, he, it's bad. He it's was, bad. you know, 
um, introduced to the side almost simultaneously with their uptick in form, but they've got a few other people still coming back. Um, yeah, I same refrain. I have full faith in Liverpool to figure it out. Um, Why did Darwin get subbed on 56 against West Ham? Diego Simeone made a phone call. Shout out Darwin. I saw that he had the fastest sprint of the season. Ooh, no way. He's that fast? Yeah. He also has the most shots per 90 um, and XG per 90, and that includes the Erling. Viking of Manchester. Nice. Yeah. I mean, again, that game very easily probably should have been one-to-one. Allison with a penalty save on on Jared Bowen. Al- this is all about Allison, man. This oh, is- Allison, after that save, has the lowest conversion um penalty conversion against in the history of the Premier League is only 54%. No way. have been converted against them 54. Wow. Is he t- is he Steve is he number 1 right now in the world? I uh, he's it, it's like a carousel of him Courtois and Neuer, but Neuer's hurt so no Tristegen. Uh he's had really good form right now but it, it it's Allison and Courtois and Neuer. There's something different between those three. Yeah. And they're all they're all amazing in their own category is the thing. It's like they're all completely different. Yeah. Um no love for Donnarumma. He's just I guess he's made some uh, iffy uh decisions at some crucial junctures over the last uh last year. I'm gonna sound like a jerk. He's just collecting paychecks in Paris, man. Fair enough. Fair enough. Paychecks in Paris. He's super young. Donnarumma will He'll he'll get there. Um, he's really really close as it is, but he's got time to improve. Hold on, though. Steve. His challenger in a few years is gonna be Mike Menyon in at Milan. Yeah. Does here's the here's the thing though. Does he or does he go the the Johnny Manziel route? I can only imagine. I'm just gonna speculate a little bit here. I can only imagine what Donnarumma is doing in his free time in Paris. It's a lot of money. Uh, I. I just such a slippery slope. I don't know, <laughs> dude. He he's just he's like the made in a lab keeper, right, Steve? Donnarumma? Yeah. No, I actually think that he's he's a little bit too attached to his line, but that's kind of an Italian trait. And also, he's like six five, six six, so he can probably get away with that more than others. But I'd like to see a little bit more ability out of him. No, that's what I mean in terms of his physical prowess. Like he just even when he's a half step behind like he's already he's ahead because he has that advantage yeah he has a great makeup step um his positioning could really use some work he uses his athleticism to get away with a lot of stuff um we'll that's see if he what i'm saying or not if you wanted me to pick a keeper in a lab i'm going neuer probably for the next 50 years of my life yeah neuer is just a specimen i, I still want to see the uh footage of him on the training ground playing uh outside back but that may never surface who neuer yeah uh Dude. That may yeah. never surface. Quality right back. Show me Donnarumma playing anywhere else on the field. So speaking of collecting paychecks <laughs> in Paris, we're going to wrap up this over-under segment. And we all think Arsenal have a pretty damn good chance of winning the league. The only real disagreements come from Liverpool and uh, where Chelsea and United end up. But are we all are we all kind of collectively resigned to Spurs falling out of the top four? Is, is that what I'm hearing? Looks like it right now with their injury issues. I, I like. I think Steve just put it perfectly that it's easier. Like you can contain Son and Kane. They need to figure out something else, and Conte could do that within the current squad. They've got talent, you know. So shifting some things around, um, but I, I don't see them passing who. Uh, who we've already discussed. They're also a victim of our timing. Yeah. It, they had by far the worst week. Um, I'm sure that, you know, in a few weeks' time, we'll be singing a different tune. But as far as Arsenal at the top, I find it funny that just because it's Arsenal, I suppose, even though they've been playing some of the best uh, football in the entire league, it just feels like most people are dismissing them as the front runner. Um, they have the their best start ever in the top flight. And I think I read the second best start ever in the Premier League. And everybody's reaction to that is like, oh, well, that's not going to last. And I think at some point we need to start giving them credit. True. Yeah. So let's make this easy for the kids back home. Before we get to Mets, 
picks. What's your top four? Steve, let me see if I can let me see if I can complete the puzzle. First place, City. Two, Arsenal. Three, Liverpool. Four, Chelsea. Yeah, I'll buy it. Mike, you go in Arsenal, City, United, Newcastle? Chelsea fourth. Okay. Okay. Over but Newcastle? Who, but who knows? Over Newcastle? Newcastle, I, I'm thinking Newcastle fifth or sixth. Okay. I just didn't know how spicy you were going to get. Well, let's conclude. I mean, Arsenal's, our... already, Arsenal's already pretty spicy. Arsenal is pretty spicy. Well, that's concluded our sprawling analysis of the current state of the top of the Premier League table that was merely masquerading as an over-under segment. When we come back, Michael Mitzner will be giving you all the tips on how to make your money this weekend. But first this... Mike had a big week last week. Chelsea, that hit. Palace, plus a half a goal, that hit. What's going to hit this week, buddy? Floor's yours. So, to be completely honest with you, this is maybe the hardest week I've ever had to make mitz picks. Um, There's just a lot of tight matchups. I think that it's going to be a really exciting weekend in that regard. It does make it a little bit difficult to uh, wager. But I think that your safest three bets, your best three bets for the upcoming weekend, I would say number one, City minus two. You can get that at plus 170 over Brighton, which I think is a great line there. City is well-rested. They're going to be looking for, they're going to want to avenge the loss to Liverpool. And Brighton, for all they tried, couldn't get the job done against Forest. So I think City is going to make a statement here. It's at the Etihad. So I feel, uh, you know, pretty confident about this one. Again, I like I said, it's, it's a, a weekend of tight matchups. Number two... I like Leeds plus 105 over Fulham, although I think it's going to be a very tight game. So you may want to look at, um, you know, potentially taking a spread bet in this one, like a plus one quarter uh, minus 122 for Leeds. But Luis Sinistera looks really dangerous. I think that the goals are going to start coming from him. I think Rodrigo being back is huge. He's very important to the high press him along with Brendan Aronson. So I think Leeds is is a good pick here. Again, going to be a really tight game. And then I really like Arsenal minus one uh, at plus 155. So if Arsenal wins by one over Southampton, you push. Uh, if they win by more than one, then you, uh, you, you win that bet. I think Saints left it all on the table to get a result at Bournemouth and you've got a rested Arsenal squad. So a similar theme with the city bet, but I think taking Arsenal and city to cover are probably, um, you know, the, the safe places to be along with Leeds uh, taking a Fulham team um, at home. So that concludes this week's Smith's picks. Good luck. So guys, uh, we got a lot of action this weekend. Um, what are you guys going to be watching? I will be up this Saturday morning, 7.30 a.m. on Peacock to watch the Tricky Trees defeat Liverpool 1-0 at the city ground. If you're feeling feeling frisky, you can catch that at plus 1,000. Wow. Then we're going to be having a very interesting conversation about Liverpool next weekend. Next week. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wouldn't you love that? I would lose it. You, but I'm watching. Would lose it. You would lose it, and I know you're betting on it. Um, and I know you probably should be sort of sprinkling the draw instead. It's it's. Listen, it the entire exercise is a, a fanboy sprinkler. So if they win, that's a bonus. Fair enough.
Steve, what are you going to be watching this weekend? Napoli at Roma, noon Sunday. Uh, Napoli is arguably the most entertaining team in Europe right now. And Roma's only allowed two goals at home this season. So something has to give. Statement match for both teams. Feels like one of these each weekend in Italy as Serie A is kind of the gift that keeps on giving this season. Um, that should be on Paramount+. Plus. Well, that's going to be a heck of a match. I'm going to be watching Chelsea take on Manchester United Saturday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, NBC. Chelsea uh, are the home favorites, plus 105. Draws plus 250. United's plus 260. I don't know. I can't read this one. I really can't. Um, maybe, uh, maybe take United if you're indifferent. You don't hear me say that very often. Can I, can I give an honorable um, mention? Yeah, what's your honorable mention? Honorable mention, and I'm still weighing up getting tickets for this guy, but uh, Austin FC versus FC Dallas playoff match Sunday, 7 p.m. at the Q2. believe you can catch that on ESPN or ESPN Deportes, but their delistas fantastic well before we leave you guys we have to give a shout out to kareem benzema um not just for being the latest vessel to remind us about how magical the champions league and by extension the sport really is but grabbing the ballon d'or um which how would you guys characterize the ballon d'or is it the most prestigious individual prize in all of world football i'd say the world cup Individual award. Individual award? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be. You know, there's plenty of great players who have not won it, but winning one really cements you as a uh, all-timer. Um, I love Benzema wore kind of a cheeky bow tie mm-hmm. yeah. to the ceremony, and I found out later it was a homage to Tupac. Tupac's Grammy appearance when he wore uh, the similar bow tie for All Eyes on Me. Pretty sick. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was dope. That's insane. That was tight. Also, shout out Alexia Puteas, who won her second women's Ballon d'Or. Um, she's out for a while at Barcelona, but, you know, well-deserved. Well-deserved indeed. Well-deserved indeed. Um, well, guys, thank you so much for listening. You can check us out on Twitter, at JustForKicksFC. On Instagram at the Just for Kicks podcast. And for all the best fantasy tips, go to justforkickspod.com. You'll also get bonus content and you'll get some uh, pretty interesting musings from Mr. Mike that have nothing to do with anything. <laughs> but hey, it comes with the territory. So thanks again for listening. Make sure to check us out on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, like, leave reviews. We love you so much. Have a beautiful, beautiful day.